we now move to chapter 5 which deals with the karma sanyasa yoga or the philosophies of action and renunciation despite the patient and detailed teaching by krishna arjuna still is confused so he asks again krishna forgive me please but i'm not still clear about the two paths you've been telling me about as i see it the path of wisdom essentially means that one must live like recluse in which case how can the recluse be active in the world there appears something fundamentally different about the path of wisdom and i can't quite see how it can have anything common at all with the path of action tell me once again please in simple language what the two paths have in common and how they also differ in some respects krishna smiles and says arjuna you are confused because you are looking at things rather superficially true on the face of it the two paths appear to have little in common but if you examine in depth you will discover that a difference if any lies purely in the procedure followed rather than in either the spirit or the goal to be achieved let me explain all this in greater detail and even as i do so you had better pay careful attention time is short and i don't want this issue raised again i will start with karma yoga or the path of action action as you know is always performed in this world naturally therefore the karma yogi or the one committed to the path of action is immersed in the world like everyone else but there are important differences while people mostly are engaging in action for personal advantage profit power etc our friend the karma yogi does his work as a duty discharged to society and as an offering to god he has absolutely no thoughts of reward profit success and things of that kind he does not even expect thanks for the service he renders in other words this noble soul has totally renounced all claims to the fruit of action that is the important point arjuna asks krishna i'm a bit puzzled i don't quite see what is wrong with aspiring for the fruit of action there is a person say who's worked very hard in his profession his business what is wrong with his wanting to be successful after all why else would a businessman do business krishna smiles and replies i get your point there is nothing morally wrong in expecting a reward for what you have done but you see the reward that you are looking forward to is connected with this world and once you hanker after such rewards that desire ties you down to this world result cycle of birth and death so 
If you want to get out of this rut, and I presume you want to, then you have to get rid of the desire. That is all. But Krishna, what about the businessman in my example? Why on earth would he want to do business if he should ignore the rewards? Well, that is where spiritual philosophy enters the picture. You see, the businessman should engage in business as a profession and not for amassing wealth. Take the teacher for example. His job is to teach and not to make money. If he gets paid, that is incidental. His primary objective should be to train students properly, to be a role model to them and mold their character. That is the service he owes to society. The businessman should operate in the same way. He should be focusing on his work as a service activity rather than one that fetches profit, etc. If he makes money in the process, nothing wrong. However, he should make sure that the money is given away to good causes, etc. after keeping some for his needs, of course. The essential point is simply that operationally, the man on the path of action or the karma yogi functions very much like the man on the path of wisdom. In other words, the karma yogi starts from the outer world and later journeys inward to God. The wise one, on the other hand, starts from the inner world and then journeys outside to do service. Thus, the journey of the karma yogi is from action to wisdom, while the journey of the Sankhya Yogi is from wisdom to action. At the end of it all, the two types of Yogis become indistinguishable. The man of wisdom may appear very strange in his behavior, in fact, even crazy, but crazy he is not. Let me give you an example. One day, the Gopikas of Vrindavan wanted to cross the Yamuna river. However, the river was flowing full and there was no boatman in sight. So they all stood there wondering what they should do. At that time, sage Vyasa came there. You know Vyasa, don't you? The Gopikas prayed to the sage, O Venerable One, please can you help us to go across the river? The sage smiled and replied, Certainly. But before I do so, you all must give me some of the butter that you are carrying. The Gopikas immediately served fresh butter to the sage, who ate it with great relish. Wiping his hands and mouth, the sage then went near the river and said aloud, O Mother Yamuna, if it is true that I have been fasting today, please stop the flow of water so that all of us can walk across. Lo and behold, water immediately stopped flowing and the Gopikas as well as the sage went across the river. On reaching the other bank, the Gopikas thanked the sage profusely and then asked, O oh sage, we are not able to understand one thing. You ate so much butter 
and yet you said you were fasting, and Mother Yamuna seemed to accept your declaration. What is the mystery behind all this? With a smile, the sage replied, You all thought I was eating the butter. No, that is not true. I just went through the physical motions, but I offered all that butter to Krishna, who, as you know, likes fresh butter very much. It was really he who ate all that butter. Arjuna, now do you understand how the wise perform actions? The yogi is always inward-looking and seeks God in his heart. By the way, when I speak of the heart, you must understand that I am referring to the spiritual heart and not the physical heart. You must have heard people say, You are a heartless person. How can anyone exist without the pump that causes the blood to circulate? Thus in spirituality, heart always means the seat of compassion. The heart is called Hridaya. Hridaya is Hrid plus Daya. Daya means compassion. Thus, the heart is the seat of compassion, which is a divine quality. Getting back to the yogi, he totally identifies himself with God. In fact, he believes that he is God. He is the Atma. He is the inner self. He is the true self. He is the reality. Krishna continues, Sounds weird. It does not end here. The yogi always feels that the mind and the body are quite distinct from him. In other words, you will never catch him say, I am the body or I am the mind. He knows that he is not the body or the mind. A puzzled Arjuna asks, I don't quite understand what you're saying, Krishna. Can you please come again? With his eternal smile, Krishna replies, Of course. You see, Arjuna, the yogi's body and mind function just like yours. But there, the similarity stops. His body would always perform sacred actions. His mind is always full of pure thoughts. Arjuna asks, How does that happen? Krishna replies, Suppose there is a well. If you throw a pebble into the water, ripples are generated, which then travel to the edge of the well. The yogi's heart is the well, absolutely pure of course. If the pebble of good thought is thrown into this well, it generates ripples. When the ripples reach the edge, that is the body, it results in good action. Arjuna, for the yogi, the Atma is in the driving seat. He as the Atma commands the mind. The mind then gives appropriate orders to the body and the senses. The net result is that there is perfect harmony between feelings, thought, word and deed. This really is what the so-called human values are all about. If you ask the yogi, as to who is acting, he would simply say, I don't act, I am the Atma, and the Atma is just a witness. It is the mind and 
the body that act. As for me, I am not the body or the mind. Notice, he does not even use words like my body, my mind, etc. The yogi is speaking the truth, though his way of talking might appear strange to ordinary mortals like yourself. I shall come back to this point later maybe, but for the moment let me stay with what I was telling you a short while ago. The yogi is not like a hibernating bear, absolutely still all the time. He may shun the pleasures of the world, he may be above desires, he may not want food, he may not experience hunger or thirst the way normal people do. In all such respects, the yogi clearly belongs to a different species, if I might say so. Yet, such people do act in their own special way. They gather disciples around them and groom them carefully and patiently. Why? Because humanity always needs noble souls, and yogis often take upon themselves the task of grooming such people. This is the service that they render to society. You might ask, okay, one yogi produces ten others, but of what use are they to society? They keep to themselves and apart from society. They may be wise, but where is the action? I shall answer that. True, the yogis stay with their students, but they keep wandering and in their travels, they pass through many villages. Every time the party enters a village, the residents welcome them, extend hospitality to them, and listen to discourses delivered by these wise men. In this way, even yogis serve society. Arjuna, you must have heard the advice, avoid bad company and always seek good company. The wandering yogis provide the good company that people need. These yogis come as a breath of fresh air, sanctify the places they visit and reinforce the faith that simple people have in God. In short, if the karma yogi journeys from action to wisdom, the sankhya yogi goes from wisdom to action. Suppose you want to make syrup. There are two ways of doing it. You could take a tumbler of water, add sugar and then stir. Alternately, you could first put sugar in the tumbler, next add water and stir. Either way, the end product is the same. In a like manner, the two parts that I referred to earlier are completely identical as far as the final goal is concerned. Having said that, I should also point out that for you especially, and indeed for 99.99% of humanity, the path of action is much easier to follow. It is a lot easier to go through life working for God rather than telling yourself all the time, I am God, I am God. Arjuna asks, Krishna, if it is so difficult, then how come the wise man is able to say, I am God and get away with it? Krishna replies, you must get one thing clear. The wise man does not go about proclaiming to the world that he is God. Instead, he constantly reminds himself, 
I am God in the essence. Therefore, I must do nothing that is contrary to my innate divinity. I must therefore see only what is good, hear only what is good, speak only what is good, and think only what is good. Further, I must see God in everything, all the time. This is how the wise man spends his life. He is immersed in constant integrated awareness. In simple terms, it means seeing God everywhere, in everything, all the time. In the process, he also sees the same God within himself, naturally. The wise man sees God in the microcosm as well as the macrocosm. He makes no distinction between a saint and a sinner. For him, the saint and the sinner are both God in disguise. Can you go through life like that? Impossible. That is why I recommended for you the path of action. Got it? I now come to something I had put off earlier, namely about my incarnation. I take on a human form whenever I feel that my direct presence here on earth is absolutely essential. Further, I choose the parents of the body, the place of birth and also the exact time of birth. All these factors are entirely under my control. Thus, the time chosen is sacred, the place chosen is sacred, and the parents of the body also are holy people. The avatar moves about like ordinary mortals. He will talk like ordinary people. He will eat, sleep, and dress like ordinary people. But there the similarity ends. The avatar is without blemish in every respect and personifies Satya and Dharma. Ever smiling, he radiates Prema all the time. Not even an iota of selfishness and self-interest can ever be found in him. Ever compassionate and ever full of shama or forbearance, he is always giving. Thus his hand is always above and never below receiving. Like humans, the Lord in human form is also ever engaged in actions. However, whereas ordinary humans get bound as a result of their actions, the Lord is not so bound. Arjuna asks, How is that? I don't follow it. Krishna explains, the answer is simple. Actions bind one to the world when performed with some self-interest. As I told you, I have no self-interest, not even a trace of it. I am beyond this world and come here just to play a specific role for a limited time. All my actions are based on pure love and that is the reason why actions can never bind me. Arjuna asks, If I perform actions with pure love, will I also be free from getting bound? Krishna replies, Of course, 
And that is precisely the lesson I have come to teach you. Selfless action based on pure love is the bottom line. You must always give and not grab. You must give and forgive. You must give and forget. Remember, it is in giving that you really receive. And what is that you receive? My grace. Seeing a frown on Arjuna's face, Krishna now says, Mind you, I am not saying that actions performed with expectation of specific rewards are necessarily evil. A mother may want her son to do well so that she could be proud of him. This is a natural human instinct. Such a desire is not immoral or a sin. However, it is entirely worldly and based on body attachment. That is what binds one to the cycle of birth and death. Worldly desire, no matter how good it might seem, always leads to bondage. Worldly desires inevitably chain you to the cycle of birth and death. You may want many things and all these desires might not get fulfilled in this birth. So destiny offers you another birth, but then in that birth you also face much misery. And so on it goes, birth again, death again, in between sojourn in so many wombs. What a fool man is, if only he would constantly think of the Lord. So you see, the avatar is not like you in terms of the purpose for which actions are performed. And that is why he remains beyond always. There is one other point that I must mention. People often lament, O oh God, why did you inflict this suffering on me? But do these people think of me in their moments of success? Hardly. Instead, they give all the credit to themselves and are busy accepting congratulations. So it would seem that all I do is to spread misery. But let that pass. Arjuna, man alone is the master of his destiny and not the God above. God merely watches and says yes to all that man wants. If he wants to be good, God says yes. If he wants to be bad, God says, all right, do so if that is what you want. If man wants desires to be fulfilled, God says, go ahead. If on the other hand, man wants to be liberated, God not only says yes, but helps with great enthusiasm. Arjuna asks, You say, man alone is a master of his destiny. But there are certain things not explained by the statement. Let us say there is a poor couple. They have a son who is badly handicapped. These people are very good and highly devoted to you. They are not doing harm to anybody, yet they are suffering. Krishna, why are they being punished? Don't tell me they are punishing themselves. 
Krishna smiles and replies, I am glad you have asked this question because this is a common confusion that people have. You see, people accumulate positive and negative points in every birth. This account has to be settled. Often, it is not settled in one lifespan. And there is a carryover. In the example that you gave, both the parents and the handicapped boy are settling the account of their respective past karma. Men do not realize that they are the masters of their own fate. The fault lies not in the stars but in themselves. The solution to all this, as I have already told you, is to totally surrender to God and let Him shape your life. But unfortunately, people think of God only when they are in trouble and more or less forget Him when things are going smooth. This kind of part-time devotion will simply not work. Beware! In such matters, you must draw a lesson from the wise. They too live in this very same dual world with all its pairs of opposites. But their outlook to these is very different. The wise man constantly tells himself, it is wrong to imagine that some things in this universe are good and other things are bad. If everything is God, how can anything ever be bad? Impossible! Things only appear to be bad, even though they are good in the core. It is like in a play enacted by a drama troupe. All the members are good people, really, but in the play, some may act as the good guys, while others may play the role of the bad guys. God's cosmic drama is no different. The point that I am trying to make is simply that the wise man is above duality that most people are in the grip of. What deludes ordinary people does not delude the wise man. Creation is a clever puzzle designed by God. It fools 99.99% of the people. Sometimes it even makes them believe that the transient is eternal and that the eternal does not exist. Everyone sees people dying all the time and yet most people do not realize that they too would have to go one day. If they did, would they not give serious consideration to what they must do with their lives? Do you see anyone doing that? Hardly. Incidentally, this is where karma fal tyagam that I taught you earlier comes in handy. When you are truly engaged in karma yoga, the world just flits by. You are so immersed in working for God and offering everything to Him that you couldn't care less about duality and all that stuff. You will get wet only when you go out into the rain without an umbrella. If you stay at home, how can you get wet? In short, while the Sankhya Yogi truly rises above delusion, the Karma Yogi bypasses it neatly by firmly attaching himself to God. 
I might add that God likes the karma yogi very much. Do you get a hint, Arjuna?